Welcome to the Fulfilled Podcast. The podcast designed to spark fundraising inspiration for your nonprofit through thought-provoking interviews with world-leading fundraising experts. Fulfilled brings a unique interview style approach where we ask the most important questions of our expert guests to help nonprofits excel in their fundraising efforts. Feel inspired and feel fulfilled with knowledge so your nonprofit can continue to make a positive impact and create change for a better world. Hi everyone, Jake here from Fulfilled. Today I'm excited for two very different reasons. Firstly, today marks the 50th episode of Fulfilled, so thank you to all our listeners and to everyone who has contributed in getting us to this point. And today I feel like we've come full circle as we return to Melbourne, Australia, where it all began to talk with Jessica McPherson. Jessica is a fundraising and digital strategy consultant, as well as being the founder of Blaze Your Trail. More notably, Jessica was the former CEO and founder of St Kilda Mums, a charitable organisation that helps children and families in the state of Victoria in Australia. Throughout her career, Jessica has achieved some incredible achievements, including being inducted into the Victorian Honour Roll of Women in 2017, was an award winner in the Pro Bono Australia Impact 25, and Jessica also received the Order of Australian Medal in 2019. Jessica, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to speak with you. Uh, so great to have you here. So as I said in the introduction, um, in 2009, you founded St Kilda Mums, a charitable organisation, as I've already said, uh, that helps children, children and families in Victoria. What were you doing prior to this and how did this lead you to start your own non-profit organisation? Uh, my background is in sales and marketing in the wine trade. So I'm a Kiwi that came to um Australia in the year 2000 to sell Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc and it was pretty hard <laughs> those early days in fact coming over in July 2000 was particularly difficult because Sydney was about to um, launch the Olympics and I was selling wine on premise so it meant that every restaurant and cafe that I went into in Sydney wasn't interested in speaking to a wine rep from New Zealand with a wine that they'd never heard of before so it was that was pretty challenging um, and I, I came over with Montana wines uh, they don't exist anymore they're now known as uh, Brancott Estate and part of Jacobs Creek the, the, the big um, Pernod Ricard the big uh, French wine company um, and then I set up Oyster Bay Wines Australia so when I started selling Oyster Bay in early 2003 um, nobody had heard of it it hadn't been widely distributed had had a previous distributor but hadn't been widely distributed and um, we had a very ambitious goal that we were going to be the number one New Zealand wine brand in Australia uh, and within two years we were the number one white wine brand in Australia so uh, Oyster Bay was a huge success story and it was great to be involved in that right from the very beginning but uh, love brought me to Melbourne and I moved here to uh, to be with my now husband and father of my children. And I started working for a really small boutique New Zealand winemaker called Jackson Estate. Um, and that's what I was doing right up until the, uh, you might remember the recession, 2008, 2009. Uh, and that was really tough. Um, New Zealand wine sales had been going really, really well in the UK. And that recession just brought an absolute halt to premium wine sales. and. I had to look around and find something new to do. 
and I found it I found it really difficult. I did a number of different jobs, including some consultancy and software. Um, but meanwhile, I'd had a couple of kids and when I was working in the wine trade and I'd had this idea for St Kilda Mums and when I had the opportunity to um, take a break, um, look after my babies and volunteer full time, uh, that's, the, that's the opportunity I took to, to start St Kilda Mums. Wow, that's incredible. And what were some challenges you faced early on with St Kilda Mums and how did you overcome this? Look, uh, the, the biggest, I, I suppose, the biggest constraint in the early days and in the early days were the first five years. The biggest constraint was just time. And I had two small kids. Uh, I was working full time. I uh, was trying to juggle the, the amount of time that I wanted to, to volunteer and commit to St Kilda Mums with holding down a full-time job. Uh, and eventually in um, 2012, I uh, decided just to quit working and volunteer full-time for St Kilda Mums. I, I, I knew that it could, could one day be much larger than it was, that it could, um, that we could fundraise, that we could get a warehouse, that we could, you know, really help so many more people. And so, you know, the stats are something like from the time we employed the first employee um, our, to, to about a year ago, our, our income um, had grown something like sixfold, but our impact had grown 20fold. You know, so it was one of those things where we had real economies of scale. And if we had, if we had the space for the volunteers to gather and to, to work on recycling the secondhand goods, then we could just see this massive kind of increase in output, which is exactly what happened. So I'm really glad that I took that time off and spent that time. Uh, it was critical because we, we had a very ambitious goal, FY13, that we were going to raise $80,000. Uh, the previous financial year, our operating our entire revenue and turnover had been about $12,000. So we had this huge stretch target. But at the end of 20, FY 2013, we'd actually raised $240,000. So we wrote a very, very simple strategic plan that just fitted on a page. It had eight goals and we just diligently executed, you know, the, 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 the plan that we had built and, um, and we were successful, including uh, winning a large grant through Perpetual Trustees to employ our first CEO. That was me. <laughs> wow. And- yeah, incredible. Well done. It's such an incredible story. And I've followed St. Kilda Mums for a number of years now, being a, um, after living in Melbourne. But, and you, you mentioned the grant, which uh, you were able to employ yourself to come on as CEO. What else caused St. Kilda Mums to gain traction in those years? There are a few things that I did right from the get go that I knew were really fundamentally critical and important. And one of them was a monthly newsletter. And uh, it's amazing how many charities I speak to today when you say, do you send out a monthly newsletter? And they say, no, they don't prioritise it. They might, st- they might strive for a quarterly newsletter, but you know, a lot of charities I've spoken to lately haven't sent out a newsletter right throughout COVID. And to me, that is just completely counterintuitive because email is one of the cheapest ways to fundraise. And building up a great subscriber list um, is so critical for when times can't time when it comes time to send out your fundraising appeals. So you've got to reward people with twelve great newsletters throughout the year. So when you hit them up at Christmas and at tax time, 
um, you know, they, they have 12 months or they've had 12 communications from you that prove that supporting your charity is going to make a big difference to the world. It's just so, it's just those basics that are so important. Um, I kind of was dragged kicking and screaming to the world of social media. We'd been going for three years before, um, you know, I would, the, the, the committee of management, which was, you know, the early board, um, told me that it was very important that we had a social media presence. So I, I, against my, uh, and against what I wanted to do, I ended up being the administrator for our, uh, Facebook page, our community page. And it was, you know, it, it, Facebook, particularly when you were spending time there sort of 2013 to, you know, probably up until very recently, it's a, it was a very, very smart place to be spending time. And in the very early days, we used to do call-outs for all of our volunteer jobs, all our volunteer opportunities used to happen on our main, on our main community page. And so um, unwittingly, I suppose you could say, by doing those constant shout-outs for volunteer help we were just building our supporter base and people could see people who followed along with that community page could just see all the the myriad of ways they could support us and they could see how doing something as simple as taking a check to the bank to bank a check would be making a huge difference to to me in my day when i was stuck in the warehouse and couldn't leave so yeah that's incredible. And you say uh, social media was a, a good channel to use only until recently. So why do you say that? Oh, I'm being a bit. I'm being a bit sarcastic about Facebook only at the moment. I, I'm finding that Insta is where it's all happening, right? And um, Facebook, uh, you know, I, I, I guess for me personally, I'm not seeing the fantastic content being generated in my news feed that I used to enjoy and I spend more time over on Insta and actually I'll tell you where I'm at now it's all about LinkedIn like I'm I love LinkedIn so I love LinkedIn in the way that I loved Facebook years ago but I think it's different you know different stages of your life and different roles that you're in you know eight years ago I was leading a a, a large um, volunteer powered organization uh, and Facebook made sense and now I'm running a consultancy business and LinkedIn makes sense. So it should be enjoyable, whatever platform you're on, whatever channel you're on, you should enjoy doing it. And if it feels painful to you, just don't do it because that pain will <laughs> be visible to the reader. <laughs> I think I need to find a way to get over the pain, but yes, no, it makes, it makes complete sense. And when was the decision made to go from a small grassroots organization to the near 50 employee organization? It might be more than 50 employees at St. Kilda Mums today. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Great question. Um, what we found is that every time we employed somebody, you'd get this sort of massive, you know, jump and output. So for the first year, it was just me. And in the second year, there were three and then five people, right? And then, the, then suddenly, <laughs> there's 48 people. <laughs> um, and that's, that sounds like a lot. But the, in, in fact, half of the employees are employed on a, on a casual basis. And that's really around supporting the corporate volunteering program. So in each of our warehouses, we welcome in teams from workplaces but also from community groups and schools and when those groups are in we employ people to lead and guide the activity 
because unlike our regular volunteers who undergo training and become proficient at a particular task or a particular area of the warehouse, when a group of people are just coming in for the day, you need to have a much higher ratio of supervision, you know, from a paid, from a paid staff member to a volunteer. So we normally roster on at about a ratio of seven to one. So seven workplace volunteers to one supervisor. Um, and so that's, you know, the headcount is in reality, uh, permanent staff, full-time equivalents, fewer than 20 might only be 16 people, but the actual headcount with, with all of the part-time roles and with all the casual staff jumps up to closer to 50. But for, for, the, for the number of volunteers that we have engaged, we have one part-time staff member for every 100 volunteers. And we're helping 20,000 children each year now, which is a number, right? It's a number. It's quite a big number. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, sometimes numbers get so big that your brain doesn't compute anymore. But it's dozens of families we help every day. Every working day, we're helping dozens of families. And when I, when I try to communicate the impact of somebody's financial donations, which is, which is really important when you're asking the community to trust you and to support you with a financial donation. I explain it this way, that the average cost is about $137 per child. And when you think about how much $137 would, would, you, would buy you if you went into Kmart or Target or Baby Bunting and you needed to get everything that you need to welcome a baby home from hospital, $137 doesn't go very far. But the best bit about supporting St Kilda mums is that $137 includes all of our rent and all of our wages. So the fact that we're recycling over 90% of the goods, 90% of the goods have been donated to, to the organisation and are saved from landfill and are safety checked and cleaned and packaged and organised and distributed. That's where the real value lies. The real value of what St Kilda Mums does is in the the care that the volunteers take to make sure that everything is wonderful, clean, safe, great quality and uh, and presented like a gift. That's the that's the real value of what St Kilda Mums does. And when when you were scaling, I mean, what goals were you setting? Um, and what was the strategy behind this to achieve that? Yeah, so we wrote that first one year strategic plan with the eight goals and exceeded it, like <laughs> trebled <laughs> in terms of the, 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 the financial target. But there are other targets in there, things that were really important to do, like find a warehouse, for example and employer first employee those were those were goals inside that that first strategic plan um, and then we wrote a series of three-year plans that we executed in full within 18 months right so there was this sort of this period of time where i think there were maybe three or four three-year plans that were executed very very quickly and um and and the goals inside those plans were really quite specific you know really quite uh, yeah, really quite specific. So one of them, for example, was we wanted to we wanted to have a better integration between Salesforce, which is our CRM, and our mass email tool. 
So we wanted to be able to honour people's communication preferences and we wanted to be able to give people the opportunity to opt out of fundraising communications but stay on the newsletter distribution list, which meant we had to, every single person in the database had to have two options. And then we employed a terribly clever IT manager and she figured out a way of uh, when somebody goes to unsubscribe, you know, they get they get the the tax appeal that's got the heart-rending story and they immediately hit unsubscribe because they just they they feel upset. You know, sometimes people get feel upset when they get a, a get get a piece of fundraising communication. But when they hit that unsubscribe button, instead of going straight to the you are unsubscribed now, they would they would end up on a landing page that would say, We understand you no longer want to receive fundraising communications from St Kilda Mums, but we'd love you to stay on our newsletter list and we promise to share great stories of the wonderful things that people are doing to support this cause. And we found that when we when we created that customization that we were able to retain a lot of people, right? A lot of people want to hear the news, want to be involved. A lot of people are volunteers who don't want to make a financial donation because they feel like they give a lot of their time so they don't want to be asked for money as well so it's about honoring those communication preferences but that being said our volunteer cohort is our highest responding segment in any fundraising communication as well so you don't want to not ask your volunteers to support you because they will some of them will um, but you really need to honor people's communication preferences if you're going to do fundraising well as you say around with the volunteers and the team, I mean, quite a big team to lead. What is your leadership style like and how do you get the best out of your team? Well, right from the very beginning, it was always very democratic. So, and what, what I mean by that is um, we're all busy mums and we've all got, you know, little kids. So how do you, how do you uh, let me, as many people get involved is want to be involved, but at a time that suits them. And how do you, you know, communicate with people that if if they can't do it, do the task, that doesn't matter. That there's someone else there. And actually, social media was very helpful with that, right? Because it was instead of emailing someone and saying, "Hey, can you help me do this?" or emailing one person or sending out a group email, right? Because who wants to get who wants to be in a CC line and who wants to get all the responses, right? Of all the people going, "Yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it." Facebook suddenly made it, made it very, very easy for it was, here's the job. And the first, first, the first person who responds to say, I can do it, gets the gig, right? So that's, that's kind of at the very beginning, it's a very open, you know, anybody who wants to help can help. But then obviously as you, as you mature and you get, and you start employing people and people have position descriptions and roles and responsibilities and areas of influence and things, it can't be that democratic anymore. Um, and so you have to evolve. And I got to say, I like to be, I'm very entrepreneurial. You know, I like to be involved in the business at the beginning. I loved setting up Oyster Bay Wines in Australia. I loved setting up St Kilda Mums and I love the fact that I'm running my own business again. And, and currently I'm the only employee, but I am working with a huge cohort of volunteers. So I'm back in my happy place. Um, and I think my leadership style is, is, um, well, you know, it's an overused word, but it's agile. It's kind of like, I've got the theory, I'll give it a burl, I'll test it, I'll see what it looks like, I'll test it again, I'll refine it, I'll test it again. I mean, I have got no, I have got no proof of concept that this business that I'm trying to build is going to be successful, only I feel like it could be. 
and I feel like it's a time, it's, it's, it's an idea whose time has come and I have got the energy and the enthusiasm to give it a go. So, you know, why not give it a go? And I'm really happy to say that a few weeks in, um, the, the, the KPIs that I've set for myself, which involve generating consulting revenue and helping people get jobs, uh, I'm meeting those KPIs. And a couple of weeks ago, there were eight of my volunteers that got their first job in Australia in the Salesforce ecosystem as a direct result of having had the opportunity to gain work experience with me. And that makes me enormously proud. And that's what the social purpose of Blazer Trail is. Wow, that's incredible. And it's a great lead-in actually to the next question because yeah, you were leading after 12 years St Kilda Mums, you made the decision to stand down and start your new venture, which you've mentioned, Blaze Your Trail. So I think, yeah, give us um, an overview of what you're up to, what you're doing and what some of the KPIs, yeah, and how you assist nonprofit organisations. Sure, sure. So uh, uh, there's no doubt that uh, if you haven't heard of Salesforce yet, you probably will hear of it soon, particularly if you're working in our sector. Uh, Salesforce provides 10 free user licenses uh, to all registered charities, um, regardless of size, and that's 10 free user licenses, lifetime use, plus another 75% discount off all other Salesforce products. So that it's a it's a wonderful uh, uh, it's a wonderful commitment to our, sec- our sector and it's part of their 1% pledge. They talk about their 1% pledge all the time, which is 1% of product, 1% of time, as in their volunteer time, and um, 1% of profits are redistributed to the for-profit sector. Um, but it's also a fantastic lead generation tool. Let's not, let's not uh, <laughs> beat around the bush because whilst there are here in Australia half, Half the charities in Australia are entirely volunteer run and don't have any paid staff. Um, there's also some enormous charities that employ lots of people and have incredibly large revenues. And, and I'm talking about the fact that our sector employs 11% of the Australian population. So if you think about hospitals and healthcare services and um, uh, old folks' homes, and you, you know, there's a whole lot of businesses that uh, exist because they are part of our sector, the nonprofit sector, and they employ a lot of Australians. So those really big charities, of course, that, that's good business for Salesforce because even at a 75% discount, they're still, they're still getting that business. They're still, they still are selling those licenses. They're still servicing those organisations. Um, and Salesforce has developed products specifically for our sector. So they've developed the NPSP, the Nonprofit Success Pack for the for charities. They've developed um, a big suite of products, which they call philanthropy, uh, philanthropy Cloud, rather, which is all around impact measurement, grant management. Um, the K2, which is all around education. They have what they call verticals, right? All, all the clouds. So they, they sort of talk about their products with how they fit into a particular industry for want of a better word an industry that's an industry specific tools but really the base product is the same it's just kind of packaged up to serve a different sector and so when um you know if you're a job seeker and you've got a couple of certifications in salesforce and you're desperate to get some local experience you're not going to get an internship at coca-cola right they're they're not going to let they're not going to let some you know job seeker looking for work experience 
to, you know, flip the lid on their org and start tinkering around. But if you're a tiny charity, then you do have the capacity to accommodate volunteers because you, you can't afford to pay for a staff source admin. So you, you, you might choose to engage skilled volunteers, which is exactly what we did at St Kilda Mums. And uh, the, the real engine behind a lot of the growth of St Kilda Mums was great technology. I mean, I've used that example before. We talked before about honouring communication preferences. We couldn't have done that without an amazing CRM properly integrated with a mass email tool. Uh, that is that's critical and today we are very aware of the the risks of uh, cyber uh, a cyber attack we're we're aware of our responsibilities for keeping people's data safe and the more personal the information is that you collect about people like if you're a health organization and you've got information like people's blood types for example <laughs> Um, you've got to be short, like a lot of really personal information about people, you've got to be able to short, be sure you can keep that information safe. And, um, and that's why a lot of charities are using Salesforce. So my idea was that we've created, I've over the years created a lot of customizations, a lot of um, integrations between Salesforce and other commonly used tools. And a really good example of that is Racely. Have you come across Racely before? Yes, yeah, I'm familiar with Racely. Yeah. Yeah, so Racely is, is a social enterprise that allows people to create beautiful donation landing pages um, and fundraise in a, in, a, in a kind of really easy and seamless way. And I wrote a, a for want of a better word, I wrote a recipe for how to get the information out of Racely and into Salesforce. And I wrote a step-by-step -step guide with screenshots and here's what you do next and here's what you do next and then, then I, I published it on my website at blazeyourchild.org so anybody else any other charity who's using racing using salesforce could follow my recipe and set up the integration themselves and the benefit of that is there's no more manual uploading of donor data there's no more bulk updates there's no more none of that really messy stuff that involves csv files it's just a nice smooth nice smooth uh integration where the, the data comes in in real time and that just saves hours and hours and hours of admin time so that every charity needs to be able to fundraise online and do it in a way that doesn't involve a whole lot of admin resource being tied up so yeah that's the sort of thing that I love to do and Blaze Your Trail is currently engaged in five pro bono projects which are the learning projects for the volunteers. And we meet every morning at 6 a.m. We often have the, the client, so the CEO or the fundraising manager. And, and in this morning's case, we had both. They will be in the 6 a.m. meeting because they can't believe they're getting all this um, expert help <laughs> pro bono. So they're really motivated to be in the meeting. And for the volunteers, job seekers that are involved, it's just the most incredible learning experience for them. It's real life learning that they, they can't, you can't get that from YouTube. You can't get that from Trailhead. You can't get that from, you know, paying to go along to a course. It's real life experience. And, and they value it greatly. And they are very dedicated. They work weekends, they work evenings, they're up every morning at six o'clock. Um, and I've helped, I've helped about 200 people get their first job in Australia. And I want to help more.
it just sounds incredible. And I mean, I understand the power of Salesforce and it's and having that um, tool within a nonprofit organization. So it's really refreshing um, to hear it come from you and how it's helped what you're doing now, helping get jobs and how it's helped in the past. It's only been a short amount of time uh, since you've gone out and started your consultancy. But are you able to share any success stories um, of how it's helped raise more money for nonprofits? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because um, I actually started Blaze as a, it was actually part of the strategic goal for St Kilda Mums to come up with an idea for a social enterprise that could generate untied revenue to support St Kilda Mums. So I've actually been testing the theory for a couple of years. And last year during lockdown, I um, spent a lot of time, you know, <laughs> we had to find other things to do. We're in lockdown. So I spent a lot of time volunteering for other organisations. And I've, I've got a case study on my website. If you go to blazeyourtrail.org, there's a case study for Olivia's Place in Warrigal, which is a, a small project that I was involved in, in a volunteer capacity, whereby at the beginning of COVID last year, they would have had to close down had they not completed their, their transition to Salesforce because they were an organisation that was all clipboards, whiteboards, um, clipboards, whiteboards and, and Excel spreadsheets. And they would have really, really struggled had they not, um, had they not started using Salesforce before lockdown happened. Um, and they've gone on, I mean, the CEO there's a powerhouse. She's, a, she's definitely um, embraced Salesforce and in, in, in all of the the possibilities with, when it comes to managing their impact and their program management, that sort of stuff, the pregnancy counselling that they do. And she was recently assessed by um, her local primary health network and they got a 100% score for the visibility, the transparency, the, the amount of information that they could um, draw out of their org to demonstrate the impact that they're having in their community. And, and it's the first time anyone's got 100% on the assessment and certainly on a first assessment. Uh, so that's a really good, that's a really good success story. Uh, but just simple things. There are some testimonials on the homepage of my website too. Just simple things like charities having, you know, an email address on their website, which is, you know, info at or hello at or admin at. And there's one person whose inbox is just emails from people uh, to be able to help that small organisation have a, a form on their website that that asks the question, you know, why you, how can we help you today? Or why are you getting in touch with us today? And then creates a lead type and then some cues and then some you know, some different list views <laughs> um, so that when you log into Salesforce, you only deal with the inquiries that are relevant to your work. And even if even if you have no paid staff, it's still important so that your volunteers aren't trawling through a whole lot of fundraising inquiries when all they're looking for is volunteer inquiries, for example. That's, that's, that immediate efficiency gain is what makes it so worthwhile. Share templates, great reporting, dashboards, information at your fingertips. I mean, how many times have you worked with someone who, who has put the critical phone number <laughs> for the business contact in their mobile phone, but that's the only place that is? Or they've written on a post-it note that's stuck to their screen at their desk. That's not very helpful when you're going into lockdown. So you need to have a shared place for all of this information to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And another thing that uh, Salesforce can do is provide an 
overwhelming amount of data um, to, for you to analyze. What would you say are some of the more important metrics to be focusing on and how can fundraisers be monitoring this? Well, one of the things that I really like, um, which is out of the box functionality from the MPSP is uh, uh, levels and engagement plans so that you can, that you can really understand how people are um, connected to your organization and then you can, um, you can craft a plan around that. And I think if you're a small team, you wanna make sure that your CEO personally thanks every major donor or personally thanks every volunteer who's done more than 500 hours or whatever those, those goals are. You know, it's, it's all very well to say, yes, we should do that. But unless you actually create a system for, for making that happen, it just remains one of those, one of those things that you should do. And, and something very simple that I did was I, I created a, an alert for every gift over $500. And I personally called and thank every major gift or every gift that came in that was $500 or more. I always made sure it was me that called and thanked them. Now, you have to have a process uh, to make that happen. <laughs> and it wasn't just an email in my inbox. It was actually a task created for me within Salesforce that would appear on my homepage every time I logged in. Um, it would be sticky, so it would sort of stay on whenever I was um, looking at anything to do with fundraising, the task would continually remind me until I closed the task out. And I think it's those those sorts of things that um, then you then you can be accountable. So if you've got a board that's like, well, what, is, what have you been doing all month? Well, you can easily print an activity report that shows them all of the calls you've made and what the calls are about, who you called, when, how long you spoke for even, if you've got um, your soft phone integrated. Uh, so that sort of stuff is, is really helpful and that's just all native functionality. The other, one of the really early things that I did, which is um, crazy simple, is I had a lot, I was the only employee and I had a lot of people making a donation and then saying, oh, can you do me a beautiful gift certificate made out, you know, for my niece on the, on the occasion of her birth? And I would find myself you know, opening up a Word document, customising it, printing it to PDF, attaching it to an email, composing an email, sending it out, right? So when you've got one person asking you for a gift certificate a week, that's, that's manageable. You know, it's just one of those things that you've got to do. But suddenly when it was up to 15 in a week and everyone was taking me 10 minutes to do, I thought there has to be an easier way. So that's one of the very first things I did was come up with a template and, and create a, a quick action so that you could just go to the donation and hit that email certificate button and then get on to the next task, right? So I take, you take something that takes, a process that takes 10 minutes and you replace it with a process that is literally the click of a button. Now that's design. Somebody's got to think that up and design it and build it. But I did that with the help of volunteers. I did that six years ago with the help of volunteers. And now, uh, whenever you go to make a donation to Sinclair Mums, uh, you should be prompted, do you want a certificate with this? Is this donation in honour of a special occasion? And that's up to the user or the donor to just select that choice. And then it just hits their inbox straight away. They're never following up asking for a gift certificate like, like they used to all those years ago. Well, that would have saved you probably weeks by now if that was implemented six years ago. S saved you a lot of weeks and time. Um, I was going to say, outside of a system like Salesforce, 
What do you think is holding uh, smaller NGOs back from scaling? Oh, it's a, oh, it's always strategy. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So if you want to grow, you've got to have a plan for how to do it. And you've got to have the, the, the job of a board in a charity, the, the most important job is to set the strategic direction. Most important, right? Set the strategic direction doesn't necessarily mean write the strategic plan, although in a lot of charities, boards can get really hands-on with writing the strategic plan, um, particularly the smaller ones. But you've got to have a vision, mission, values, guiding principles, etc. But you've also got to have a, what's our plan? What, what are we doing next, right? Because it's not enough just to say, oh, you know, we're going to, I don't know, we're, we're going to help sick kids in hospitals, right? That is not a strategic direction. Uh, that's not even a proper why, really. Like, what's the end result? And some of the stuff I've really enjoyed doing lately is, is working on theory of change, having an overarching goal, uh, putting together impact measurement frameworks as well. That stuff has been very interesting. Um, but yeah, it's all gonna start with a why, and I guess the strategic direction is the how. And the strategic direction is, what are the priorities that we're going to, you've got to chunk it down. What are the things that we're gonna do first that are gonna have the greatest impact? And, uh, and yeah, take it from there. Yeah, that sounds great. And what stands out as one of your most successful fundraising campaigns to be part of over your career and what went into making this a success? Ooh. Well, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little, uh, I'm not going to answer that question directly. I'm going to answer that question indirectly. And I'm going to tell you about something that happened recently. And, um, and it's very peculiar to St Kilda Mums. And um, St Kilda Mums uh, survives on donations of goods, much more so than donations of cash, when you think about the fact that those 60,000 items that we rehome every year to 20,000 kids uh, are high-value items, like prams and cots and high chairs, et cetera. Um, we, we're relying on the community to donate those goods. Um, to 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 choose to pass them on to a family in need, um, but we'd always had this issue, which was that when we were open to accept donations, it's always quite hectic and quite fraught. You know, people are in a hurry; they they back up, they open up the back of their car and open up the boot. Now volunteers help them unload, and then often there's a screaming baby in the car, or they're late for school pickup, or there's some other drama going on, and and this is, you know, 12 years we've been doing this and we've always said, wouldn't it be great to capture that donor's information at the point that they drop their, good, their goods off? So, because they could just go to our website, they could just see when our open times were and they could just drive down and they could just unload the car and they could drive off and we would never thank them properly. We would never know who they are. We'd never get their email address. You know, they could be complete strangers to us. And for 11 years, we were like, wouldn't it be nice? And we tried a few things. Like we tried putting an iPad at the in the delivery bay and we tried training our volunteers to ask the donor if we could grab their email address and add them to our newsletter list. We tried printing sort of small thank you cards with QR codes on them. Uh, we tried all sorts of things to try and get that information about who these goods donors were. And nothing worked, right? Nothing, everything was too time consuming, too unwieldy, too hard. 
and then COVID. And then what happened with COVID was a couple of things. We had our first lockdown in Melbourne, then we had to reopen, but we had to reopen in a COVID safe way. So we instituted a booking system using Calendly, which is integrated with Salesforce, where people would have to book a time slot to come in and drop off their goods, which of course they gave us their email address and they could opt in to give us their phone number for SMS alerts. And, and suddenly we were capturing all this information that we never had before. So we could thank people properly. So we could send them a post-event survey and ask them how they found the whole drop-off process and did they have any um, suggestions for how we could make it smoother for them. And then of course, what happened in Melbourne in early July last year, which is when we had the second lockdown, we were able to communicate via SMS and email with all of those donors and say, look, I'm terribly sorry, because of lockdown, we're closed, your slot's gonna be canceled we'll be back in touch when we reopen. And then when we reopened, we sent them all another message. Hi, we're reopened. Here's where you book for your next drop-off. Now suddenly we had this, this thing that we had for years, we'd never been able to solve. We could finally solve it. And there was another aspect to that, which was when we went into the second lockdown, we ran out of baby clothing. And we did a post on our Facebook page to say, help, we've run out of baby clothing. And that, post was seen by I don't know 275,000 people saw that post right so the world just went there were all these people out there going what there's a baby that's naked and it's my fault you know so people went online and went to Target and they went to Cotton On and they shopped and they bought new things and they shipped new things directly to our warehouse and then suddenly we had we went from getting 20 parcels a week to having 200 parcels a day and so we had to do something about that so we we spun up this this process for acknowledging these postal donations, which was so simple, which was literally a mobile application that took a photograph of the packing, uh, the, the, the label on the outside of the parcel, the picking slip on the inside, if there was a picking slip, and the contents of the box. And then that created a lead in Salesforce. And then we had a staff member who was at home because she was supervising remote learning. And she was, she was looking at those leads and the photographs that were taken and then she was notifying. So, so most um, Kmart, et cetera, Target, most um, packing labels will have the mobile phone number of the sender. So she'd be looking up that mobile phone number in Salesforce and in many cases finding that person as a previous donor or volunteer or someone who had a connection with us and sending them a thank you. Look, we got your parcel, thank you so much. It's so kind of you. Or if they weren't already in the CRM, sending a thank you message or then sometimes we didn't have the phone number but on the packing slip would find the email address or then sometimes people would post in pre-loved goods and they'd only put their street address on the outside of the of the parcel so in instances like that we'd create a new contact record and then we would send an email to one of our volunteers who was at home who really loves writing thank you cards and she would send a thank she'd handwrite a thank you card to go out to that donor so so throughout um July and August and in September and even into October we're getting all these parcels but we're thanking every single person who posts something to us and we're thanking them like in a very genuine way because the volunteer sorry the staff member who was at home sending off the messages was looking at the photo of the parcels and saying oh my god that baby clothing looks gorgeous you know it was really oh my god that those hand-knitted beanies are divine you know very personalized communications now we did our Christmas appeal this uh this um, November, December 2020, and our response rate, the number of donors, and the increase and the and the value of donations, like the overall um, money donated during the campaign, was up 30 percent, 38 percent rather year on year. And I attribute 
part of that to having onboarded a whole lot of material aid donors who we never would have recognised and thanked properly in the past. And that is the power of digital. So if you're not planning to thank people properly and know who they are and meet them where they want to be, <laughs> you know, then, then you're missing out on those opportunities. And, and I think any fundraiser would be happy with a 40% increase in their Christmas appeal target year on year. And, and it helps that um, St Kilda Mums obviously had a digital focused CEO who led the way. So I think it sounds absolutely amazing. You've done so many great things for the organisation and people in need in Victoria. You've achieved so much. I mean, so many great things. You're continuing, continuing to do great work. So what are you next striving for in the next, say, 10 years? Oh, my goodness. Goodness, 10 years. Well, I'm so terribly young. I've got so many years of working life ahead of me. No, it, it, in all seriousness, um, you know, I, I could easily be working for the next 20 years, easily, because I've always enjoyed work and I'm very, uh, you know, high energy. I hope I'm working for the next 20 years. Uh, and my goal is to, is to create a successful business with Blaze Your Trail. Um, it's a social business, which means that 50% of the profits each year must be reinvested back into the business, um, which I will do in order to grow it. I hope to build a, um, a successful consultancy practice alongside a successful training business. Quite frankly, I'm hoping that in a dozen years or so, or even less, half a dozen years, that it's so wildly successful that one of the big management firms will come along and offer to buy me. Wouldn't that be great? And then I could retire um, with some, uh, some, some decent retirement savings, which is important. Um, and then I can become the philanthropist and I can be one, the one sitting across the table from the charity CEO talking about how to invest in their programs and help them. That's what I'd really like to do. That's my dream. Wow, it sounds incredible. And uh, I wouldn't pass it by anyone that you'll go out and achieve that. So I'm very eager to see from the sidelines how that all goes. But we are down to the final question, Jessica. And before I get to it, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on for Phil today. No, it's a pleasure. <laughs> What's your final piece of advice to inspire and fulfill fundraisers to make a positive impact and create change for a better world? Uh, that My final piece is um, tell your stories. Your stories are stories are everything. People want to hear stories. People people want to hear your story. Uh, every single small charity that I that I speak to um, is doing incredible work in their community, and often nobody knows. Right. So tell the stories. Use whatever publishing platforms you can. And even if that's just your own Instagram page, tell the stories of the, of the work that you're doing, of the people you're helping, of the difference that you're making, and keep telling the same story over and over and over. And when I think about people who are really great at this, right, when I think about the, the charity leaders and CEOs and the people that I admire the most, the Ronnie Khans and the cons of the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, and, um, and Rochelle from Share the Dignity, right? These big personalities that have built these powerful, uh, Louise Baxter from Starlight Foundation, these incredible charity people. What you realise is they tell the same story over and over again, but they tell the story and the story is their why. And that's what gets them, you know, that's what, that's what um, 
helps them to remain front of mind in the story of the donor. Uh, sorry, in the in the minds of the donor, it's their story and their story is compelling. Um, so yeah, that's what I'd be saying to 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 small charities, and I'd be saying, make sure you send out a monthly newsletter. Like, just do it. <laughs> and it's really easy. Just do a roundup of all the most viral stories on your Facebook and your Instagram page, right? Put that together and send it out. And it doesn't matter how humble it is. Just make sure you use a mass email tool like MailChimp. Don't send it out from Outlook or anything like that. Use something like MailChimp and just communicate. Tell the stories because the stories need to be told and people want to hear them. Great advice. Jessica, thank you so much. Pleasure.